Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and it's been a while since we've done songs, so actually, I'm going to pull a bunch of songs together, because this time round, we're talking about protest songs, which means we're going to start further back than you may think, and we're going to be talking about a variety of different cultures, a lot of different types of music, and some great protest songs, and some not-so-great protest songs. Some are certainly more serious than others, but we'll come on to all of that. So, I know that as soon as I say protest songs, you're likely to immediately jump to America, 1960s, and something to do with either civil rights or the Vietnam War, and yeah, yeah, that, that was definitely a thing. I'm not going to try and sort of distract you from that and this is not going to be one of the ones where I say and it dates back all the way to ancient Egypt because of course until we're into earliest sort of medieval era we don't have sort of written music and we don't necessarily have lyrics to songs you could argue that some poetry could have been sung yes I hear you but yeah that so you're you're really talking medieval era onwards and then if you're talking about a protest song something that's if you like, against the standard institutions, that is far less likely to be preserved at a time when hardly anything sort of like made it to historians 500 years later or so. So, yeah, this has got to be something a little bit more recent, but it still is possibly older than you might think, because one of the earliest examples that we've got of a protest song is called Rights of a Woman, and it comes from 1795. I think you can guess this. This is obviously about women's rights. And it was actually sung to the national anthem. God save the king or queen, if you're sort of used to Queen Elizabeth II. Same tune, though. That's the point. God save each female's right. Show to her ravaged sight. Woman is free. And... My point here about this very first example I'm throwing out from 1795, to put that into context, America had only just won its independence 12 years earlier. That is old. This is at the height of, sort of French revolutionary Paris, and yet this is something that we've sort of like had preserved. 
Now, of course, as I brought in French Revolution, the Marseillaise, the French national anthem, is absolutely a sort of revolutionary song. Please, I encourage you. When it was the World Cup final, Argentina versus France in 2022, as the French were singing, I read out to my children the translated French national anthem and they and they both shout oh dad why are you telling us this bloodthirsty thing in the middle of the French national anthem went because it is French national anthem okay it literally talks about cleansing fields with blood it is one of the most violent national anthems ever look I've done a whole episode quite a few well probably a couple of years ago now on national anthems go back listen to that one if you want to I explain more about that one there so you could argue that perversely a sort of revolutionary song that was against the institutions of the age the royalist institutions and threats from overseas has now become an institution in itself and a number of protest songs have kind of if you like been preserved the wrong way and we'll talk about that a, a little bit later on so yes we can we can talk about the 18th century and then we sort of like roll forwards from there. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about stuff happening in, I don't know, Germany in the 1830s and things like that. I would like to keep my listeners awake. Hello. Hi. Don't worry. I'll get to the good stuff. But I am going to move to a different continent and explain an entire industry to you from the prospect or from the perspective of protest songs but it doesn't start with a protest song so bear with me on this i'll get there in the year 1913 so you know still more than a century ago we get the very first indian directed indian film it's called raja harishandra and basically it's obviously a silent movie from 1913 hence no protest songs it's a very short film like pretty much everything from that era but the point is this there is this sort of spiritual holy leader raja harishandra and he sort of helps the local indian population to a better life now to the modern eye you can see the colonial influence this raja harishandra is not a specific deity in hinduism and he does seem to be quite a lot like jesus so hence the influence from the outsiders there but the point of the movie was this well, even though it was fantastical and obviously it's about deities the point was this the place gets better run by an indian which if you are the british colonial rulers that might make you sweaty a little bit so the thing is this the first indian film is released and is a big hit in 1913 india becomes independent in 1947 so for basically the first 35 years of the history of indian cinema it's run by another country and therefore has strict codes now some moral codes you know british squeamishness towards sexual relationships would have been absolutely the same in indian society so something like that sort of excessive violence and and to like bad language and things like that that wouldn't have been acceptable either in india or in Britain, so that was fine. But you couldn't make a movie which flat out said, let's get rid of the British, India, India, India. So they had to be more subtle than that. And 
Sometimes you had, particularly during World War II, these sort of like references to we're dependent on this from Japan and we're getting this from the Soviet Union and we're also getting this stuff from the British. So by putting it all together, it's sort of showing, you know, we don't want any kind of foreign influence in our country, thank you very much. And something like that would get past the censors. They couldn't sit there and say, death to Britain, or, you know, we hate Winston Churchill, that, you know, censors would spot that. So it had to be more subtle. The other thing that's worth knowing here, and this, like, is where India perhaps can be an imperfect reflection into the past, is that in the middle of the 20th century, you have a huge population, vast majority is illiterate. Most people with a good literate society are in the major urban centres, which are large, but even then you're going to have to be kind of middle class or, or higher to sort of be able to read, write, etc. So, what do you do? And the answer is, you put songs into your movies, because people will not be able to like read a treatise on Indian independence or anything like that, but a catchy song sticks in your head. If you're British and you're over 40, and I say to you, do the shaken vac, you can complete the rest of the jingle, because it was a tune of ridiculously catchy tune now it's called an earworm that just got stuck in your head and was repeated over and over again even though you have not seen that advert for 25 years or, or so do the shake and, and put the freshness back do the shake and back and put the freshness back so the point is this this is why indian cinema had songs in almost everything now in the west we know what a musical is. It could be Oliver, it could be West Side Story, it could be Les Miserables, or whatever, you know. We do produce musicals. Quite often they can win Oscars as well. La La Land, let's put in something a bit more recent, shall we? So, yes, we accept musicals, and obviously there is music in movies. Sometimes it's done to sort of really enhance the the feelings of the moment, you know, this epic John Williams score sort of like adds to the majesty of something like Jurassic Park or what have you. But in India, everything's a musical, not necessarily nowadays, but particularly if we go back to, let's say, the 1940s, even though it's a historical drama, they will have music in it. Even though it's basically an action film, they will have singing and dancing in it. Not the same in Europe, where Musical's almost its own genre. Now, I know somebody's going to turn around and say, uh, Jem, there's actually this singing and dancing Western action film. Good for you finding that one. Actually, I can tell you one moment. There is a, a heist scene in the forgotten Bruce Willis bomb, Hudson Hawk, which they do a heist in time to a song. Would you like to swing on a star is, is the actual tune. But can we all agree that's the exception rather than the rule? If in the middle of John Wick, he started to sing and dance in unison with some of the henchmen trying to kill him, we would find that rather jarring, okay? Likewise, in Fast and Furious 10 or whatever, yeah? Hopefully, just take my point on that one. However, in India, the illiterate population could pick up on these songs. And the songs, again, weren't overtly, we must get rid of the British, but it's like, this song might be something along the lines of, isn't it great to be Indian? You know, we are strong, we are proud, or something like that. And so if people in the fields are sort of humming these tunes and singing these songs and pointing to each other and, ah, you saw the movie too, yeah, I loved it, it gets the conversation going 
at a very basic level. Now, obviously, there wasn't cinema 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, but there were bards. There were theatrical shows put on pretty much around the world. And so you could spread a message. It's been proven in somewhere like India, so why wouldn't it have worked in Imperial China in, let's say, 900 AD? So you could spread messages through this stuff. It's just we don't have the evidence. All we can say is it was likely. But again, one theatrical troupe traveling around, let's say, Imperial China they're going to find it very hard to spread their word that fast because they don't have the advantage of modern-day connections and so on and so forth. And sometimes just singing your national anthem can be a moment of protest. This happened throughout World War II in various different countries where the Germans tried to ban national anthems because they wanted everybody to feel that they were under the Third Reich. There was a famous moment in Britain just before the war where the standard diplomatic language of the time was French. So even though you're the new German ambassador to Britain, you would send an invite out to all the other embassies in French saying, you know, I can't do it in French, but basically saying, would you like to come for like my inaugural dinner at the German embassy on Wednesday the 27th at 8pm? So you would do that. However, the Germans sent it out in German. And so what did everybody else do? Everybody sent it back in their own language. And so somebody had to sit there and translate whether it was ja or nein. Yeah, I'd love that little story. So there are all these sort of like little conveniences and the idea of nationalism, absolutely. But as I just said, 1795, it wasn't about nationalism. It was about women's rights. And sadly, it would take more than a century for women to have the right to vote in most Western countries. So that was going to take a while in that situation. So all of this is sort of like linked to the early protest soul movement. But come on, you'll, you'll want me to get there, won't you? Let's now move to the 1960s. And there's no doubt in America, the 1960s was this period of incredible tumultuous change. You basically got three different things going on, all kind of feeding off each other. And that is the counterculture, the civil rights movement, and the Vietnam War. So literally, you'll get somebody like the young, black, heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Cassius Clay, changing his name to Muhammad Ali and refusing, being a conscientious objector and refusing to go to Vietnam, which means he is stripped of his title. So you've got an example there of both the civil rights movement and also the war of Vietnam. And then obviously you've got a lot of people's sort of counterculture, particularly white students, you know, sort of like listening to these new types of songs, which are seen as sort of anti-establishment, but also sort of scary and different. You know, basically short back and sides is what everybody used to have as a haircut if you're a guy, basically, you know, n nice short hair. So having this long hair that you started seeing the Beatles and the Rolling Stones wearing, it would be seen as almost effeminate to some people at the time, but that just their hair length was considered shocking. And then when you've got songs like, well, the Rolling Stones, Let's Spend the Night Together, the Beatles shocked everybody with, I want to hold your hand. And my mother remembers sort of going, you know, that was kind of sweet. You know, everybody held hands in the early 60s. But when you heard the song, Let's Spend the Night Together, it's like... 
oh my goodness, can you say that on a record? Now, that is not a protest song, but suddenly we're getting this new generation pushing against the restrictions of the previous generation. Now, that's quite often what has been happening since the 1960s, just in different ways. Although the problem is, if your parents were the sort of the counterculture 60s type parents, they weren't really that necessarily well i mean they were strict i had strict parents as it were but they understood that you know oh this is where they're going through their thing a little brief aside here that nothing to do with protest songs but just i I love this story in my own family so my sister when she was about 15 16 started dyeing her hair purple and my mother told the story going i didn't like it but i knew if i told her i didn't like it that means she's she's only going to do it more you know this is what happened with me and my mother's so i just said to her, oh that's brilliant oh that's lovely oh are you gonna go a slightly different shade and basically she's so enthusiastic about it my sister gave up on it i'll go back to my normal hair color and uh, uh yeah well played mum well played on that one and to any parent out there dealing with teenagers that's probably not the worst bit of advice there so yeah, it's, I've gone from I've gone from women rights in the 18th century to the independence movement in India to my mother and sister talking about hair color. You get everything in this podcast, I tell you. Yes, so we're into the 1960s, and as soon as I say 60s, perhaps, arguably, the person that might pop into your head first of all is one Mr. Bob Dylan. And I'm going to say there are perhaps two sort of quintessential songs of his associated with the sort of counterculture, anti-war, sort of civil rights protest. They are Masters of War, which is a pretty overt one there. Here that build the big guns. Here that build the death planes. But also the times they are a-changing. The battle outside raging will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls for the times they are a-changing. Which uh, I hate. I don't I don't like Bob Dylan. You're gonna find some of these I love and some of these I don't, okay? Bob Dylan, I understand his importance, just like I understand how important Shakespeare is. But on a Saturday evening, I do not want to go and see The Tempest any more than I want to sit down and listen to a Dylan album, okay? So, look, I understand his importance. I understand what a big deal he is. My Again, my mother has a first print uh, Times They Are a Changing album on vinyl. It's, uh, it's amazing. She slightly ruined it by putting her, uh, an indelible marker, her name, her maiden name at the time, in the corner so nobody nicked it. But, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's got to probably be worth something nowadays. So he was important influentially because, with Jimi Hendrix as an example, because Hendrix is arguably the greatest guitarist of all time. Discuss. Please, I'm at Jem Daduchu on Twitter. Let me know, greatest guitarist of all time. I mean, Hendrix is up there. If you want to sort of throw at me, you know, your Eddie Van Halen and Steve Eyes and things like that. Yeah, great, great guitarists. Hendrix is up there. But he doesn't have the world's best voice. But what Dylan showed is that you don't have to have an amazing falsetto or deep, smooth baritone or anything like that. He sort of half talks his songs and that allowed, if you like, Hendrix the confidence to be able to sing with his kind of sort of woozy bluesy kind of gritty it isn't the world's greatest voice but that voice with the guitar it just works okay so thank you bob for 
giving Jimmy the confidence to that one. So then, let's move on to the year 1970, shall we? And definitely the loudest anti-war song or protest song that you're going to be getting on this podcast. That is Black Sabbath's War Pigs. Generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Which the first time I listened to it, it was like, wow. It was almost like the band was declaring war on war. And the the opening lines are completely unambiguous about its positioning. And Black Sabbath is a, a weird example. People quite a lot of musical journalists look down on heavy metal and black sabbath is either hard rock or heavy metal we can debate that one but the how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Point is that, yeah, I mean, Black Sabbath has made some sort of silly tunes in their time, but... They're the same as something like the Beatles or Dylan, not in the sense of perhaps in, in musicality or anything like that, but we're talking about young people just trying stuff out. Not all of it's going to work. And it's like, because it's heavier, and because it's louder, 
people tend to think it's it's not as good. And so Led Zeppelin, huge hit, and love has been given to them over the years, but particularly looking at the reviews of their albums when they were first coming out in the late 60s and early 70s, just weren't there. It's absolutely the same thing with Black Sabbath. So Warpigs is perhaps one of the lesser well-known songs about the Vietnam War, but is definitely the heaviest one there. But I'm going to say that I cannot stand it when people turn around and say, I hate X musical genre. It's like, no, there's always a good tune. There's always something. So I, I use the word tune. Maybe you're not particularly into a good tune. Maybe you're into complex lyrics or something like that. So it's just a case of you haven't heard it. I am, I'm going to put my hands up, I'm not a huge fan of the Sex Pistols. I un, Again, I understand their importance, but then to turn around and say, I don't like anything that could be considered punk, that's not true. I know, and I've got a number of songs that I do. You can absolutely argue that the Sex Pistols are an example of another form of protest. You know, where you've got anarchy in the UK and God Save the Queen. This is all coming out during the Silver Jubilee in the 1970s. And Anarchy in the UK was allegedly the number one single, but the authorities were so worried about it that they made it the number two single. So the music was so dangerous it couldn't be allowed to be number one, because what does that say about Britain and, and will it bring down the monarchy? Spoiler alert, that was the 1970s. This is 2023. Nope. <laughs> so, so if you like, the Sex Pistols, if you like, are, are an example of one of these lesser, more ephemeral protest songs going back to dylan and black sabbath i guess is protesting the vietnam war where more than a million vietnamese died more than fifty thousand americans died more tonnage of bombs were dropped on the country of vietnam than all countries dropped in world war ii so there was a lot of things to be angry about there now i've just done the loudest protest song Allow me to go on to the funkiest protest song, which again came out in 1970 and was again against the Vietnam War. And that is, of course, Edwin Starr's War. Now, the thing about Edwin Starr's War is it wasn't written by or for Edwin Starr. It was actually recorded by The Temptations in 1969. And then there was basically a behind-the-scenes debate about this. You see, also coming out in 1970 is you get Ball of Confusion by The Temptations. Now, that's a, just a great song about the state of America at this time. Just like Edwin Starr, these are funky protest songs which you can actually dance to i love both those songs now you could argue that war's a little bit almost silly and light and you know it's even done as a sort of hilarious moment in the first rush hour movie between chris tucker and jackie chan it's unused for comedy purposes but it's a if listen to the lyrics it's it's not trying to be fun but it is extremely well orchestrated and it's a protest song you can genuinely dance to which you can't do to the times they are a changing war pigs think you're gonna have to mosh to that one okay so the reason behind it is the temptations 
the Temptations were simply much, much bigger than Edwin Starr, and they'd already had like a protest song, and they, they didn't want to be put in a box of just angry young black men against the government. They were more than that, and so basically Edwin Starr was given the song, and of course it was the biggest hit he ever had. So you've got another example, a very different take on what's going on in Vietnam there, but you've also got with, the, as I said, Ball of Confusion, a much broader list of complaints and realities going on being shown by the temptations then in 1971 we get perhaps the crescendo of all of this with marvin gaye's album what's going on now the amazing thing about it is now what's going on was the title track of the album which is pretty obviously talking about again the state of america as the Vietnam War is beginning to sort of wind down. But the thing is, uh, it's also got the songs Mercy, Mercy Me, Inner City Blues and Save the Children. And those are the four singles that came off the album. There are other songs on the album. But the point, this is one of these things that you start getting in the 1970s. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a concept album. And that was the phrase of the 70s. So what does that mean? Marvin Gaye wrote all these songs as if he was a Vietnam veteran finishing his tour of duty in Vietnam, coming back to America and just seeing the state of America. And and this was the thing. One of the bizarre things, one of the good things about Richard Nixon, I know, is that he changed the lottery system. Basically, there was conscription for the Vietnam War, and it disproportionately affected ethnic minorities. So, although I'm, I'm going to make the numbers up here, but I'm not going to be that far off, if black and mixed-raced Americans, African-Americans, accounted for something like 20% of the U.S. population, they were 40% of the ethnic diversity of men fighting in Vietnam. It's like, well, why is there double of that? So Nixon actually readjusted things and made it fairer ethnically, which I know is a counterintuitive statement, but is something in historical record, okay? The point is that if you were a young black man who had just spent a year, 18 months in Vietnam, coming back again and seeing the unemployment, seeing the violence on the streets. What was I doing over there? It kind of goes back to the sort of the Muhammad Ali argument of why should I be fighting these people? They haven't done me any wrong. So you've got Marvin Gaye sort of like almost epitomizing specifically anti-war protest songs there with an entire album around this element. <sighs> And then we get, well, I've just done War by Edwin Starr. So let's do War Song by Boy George. Which opening line is War, War is Stupid and People Are Stupid. Profound, I think we can all agree. This came out in 1984 and was basically Boy George's last big hit. Now, for the record, I don't disagree with War is Stupid. Well, War is bad, okay? Or to quote Edwin Starr, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Problem is, in 1984, 
What serious large wars are happening in the West? None. What wars are happening in Britain? None. There was the Falklands War in 1982, but that had been over for two years and was a decisive victory for Britain and was a necessary engagement. The thing is, though, Boy George was just pure pop. You know, he got things like Karma Chameleon and he wasn't the right person. Someone like Marvin Gaye, who was involved in civil rights, that made sense. Whereas if Boy George is projecting this kind of fantasy pop world of like bubblegum pop, frothy, catchy songs, which I loved as a kid, you know, I'm not, I'm not denigrating them, but you're the wrong person to do it. Like I said, with Black Sabbath, it was loud, but Black Sabbath generally sounded quite angry and Therefore, War Pigs sort of fits quite nicely. George, what were you doing? <laughs> I've got no idea. Because the 80s wasn't necessarily the, the big time for protest songs. You've got Live Aid, Band-Aid and Feed the World. That wasn't exactly a protest song. That was a little charity record, which I think is subtly different. You know, you're not necessarily against a specific organization you're trying to raise awareness for things okay so then i'm going to go to the one that's probably going to get me into most trouble fast forwarding 14 years we go to 1998's manic street preachers if you tolerate this then your children will be next Right. Now, <laughs> this is from the album This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. The Manic Street Preachers I really like, okay? I'm about to not like them, but I want to put it out there. Their first big hit, You Love Us. I remember them on Top of the Pops, which was the thing that every kid would watch. It moved around the network a little bit, but generally it was like Thursdays, it was like 7.30pm, something like that. And this was your chance of pre-internet for you to see the latest videos, hear the latest songs. What was number one? Will X still be number one next week? You know, how much do we love this tune? This is a point when single sales could go into the hundreds of thousands rather than the tens of thousands that they are now, if that. And of course, downloads are counted as well and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, the point was, it was a big deal. It was event viewing you know everybody sat around it and parents had grown up with top of the pops as well so seeing them just with their sort of swagger and sort of vitality doing you love us that was the same in britain as i would imagine american seeing smells like teen spirits for the first time by nirvana it just changed everything now for the record nirvana created a huge impact here in the uk as well but the Manics just had this energy that all these sort of synthesized pop groups just couldn't replicate. So I loved them. Then I found out that they were from Wales and it was sort of like, oh, home of great singers. And, you know, just sort of like, you know, you could just tell that they're telling it like it is. And you're assuming that their families have sort of been affected by the miners' strike and stuff like that. And there was just this genuine nature to them and this truth to them as well. So, and they were intelligent as well. This was also at the height of things like Radiohead as well. Slightly kind of miserable, intelligent, but chart-topping songs, which got you thinking with interesting videos and 
it was just a really interesting time in music, and obviously there was the whole Britpop thing going on kind of at the same time as well. But anyway, the Manics have been around for a few years, and I actually remember the first time I heard this song, I was at a pool hall during my lunch break. I was there with a friend, and, you know, they were playing various tunes on, like, MTV, and then this came on, and they went, you know, this is the new one by the Manic Street Preachers, and I kind of put my cue down and paid attention to it. And when it came to the chorus, this slow, non-rhymey thing, if you tolerate this, then your children will be next. Also the line, if I can shoot rabbits, I can shoot fascists. That doesn't rhyme. And I have subsequently found out that this is about the Welsh volunteers that chose to go to Spain during the Civil War in the 1930s to fight fascism. Now, that's a very valid historical thing, but... I hate to break it to the Manics, the the Spanish Civil War finished 60 years before the recording of this song. And so the children are the parents of the Manics. So this, this song makes no sense. It's one of these things which is overly earnest. It's, if you like, the complete opposite of the war song by Boy George. It is so super serious that... It's not very good, in my opinion. Now, the other thing is that the lead singer, James Dean Bradfield, he's got this raspy voice, which at its best makes things sound incredibly earnest. But some people have called him a bit whiny. And when you have this sort of overly earnest, angsty lyrics to his voice, it does just sound like the, I don't know, the marxist student union meeting sort of whining at each other it's just it's it's the very worst of kind of protest songs and whereas again i like the manics i think they have some banging tunes i absolutely get their politics as well i respect the point that they're trying to make i'm not a fascist i don't think fascism is a good thing but this is not the way to get people on your side okay it's just it's not good (laughs) said Jem. Now, I'm going to go on to one other silly one, okay, going into the 2000s, where we have the powerhouse that is Simon Cowell, which, if you're in America or Britain, you know who Simon Cowell is. And he created the X Factor, which might as well have been called the Simon Cowell Hit Factory, because on ITV, they would have, I mean, it's the same thing with American Idol as well. America's got talent, Britain's got talent, etc. You've basically got millions of people watching these people singing, which means you've already got an audience awareness now, and then the big sort of final is just before Christmas. Who's going to win? And then they release their single. The reward is you get a record contract with Simon Cowell. I mean, it's just a way for him to print money. And so for year after year after year, You'd watch the end of The X Factor, and then regular as clockwork, that winner was the Christmas number one. And chances are most of them, Will Young being an exception here, faded away very, very quickly. Okay, so that's what happened. People got so fed up of it, and I do love this because it's another example of an angry band from the 90s that I really liked. You know, they've probably done two great albums and one song on a rather average album. Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, that lot from West Coast America. Very, very angry. Again, first time I heard their first self-titled album, I was at university and I hadn't heard anything like it before. Kind of crossed rock with very angry rock with with rap and the noises they could make with the guitar was quite remarkable. So having Killing in the name of being the Christmas number one as a protest to all this stuff by Simon Cowell, well done. It also gave in the UK, Rage Against the Machine, their only number one so far. 
so all of those are silly, but I'm going to kind of finish off, and I, I know I've sort of been going on a bit, with another element of kind of protest songs. I talked about the 70s, I talked about funky, but if we go to the other end of the 70s, we start getting rap, hip-hop, urban, whatever you want to call it. And the very best, the most intelligent hip-hop is absolutely a protest song. It could be something like N.W.A., which is such a protest that I can't even tell you what the initials stand for, you know, doing their song, which was Against the Police, on their album Straight Outta Compton, which, again, just that title track was sort of telling you something about the state of Compton, which is a suburb of L.A. So you've got somebody like Ice Cube was in N.W.A., so, you know, he spun off and started doing his own thing. Then you've got Ice-T, he had a song originally called Cop Killer, which he had to change to Street Killer. So you've got these angry young black men who are no longer protesting for civil rights or against any specific war, but instead, again, going back to some of the stuff from like Marvin Gaye or The Temptations, just talking about this is the state of America right now, and if you're a young black man, you're in trouble you know, you're perhaps more likely to be, you're as likely to be shot and wounded in LA as if you'd been a soldier back in Vietnam. So again, it's it's really catchy. It's absolutely profanity laden, you know, and again, it caused a shockwave, much like some of the stuff from the counterculture in the 1960s. Parents were horrified. My parents were sort of like, listen to this, this isn't music. And yet I loved it, even though I was a, a white teenage boy in West London, I was sitting there listening to Run DMC, Public Enemy, Ice Cube, Ice-T, NWA, so on and so forth, and loving it. For me, it was a learning experience. It's all like, so this is what it's like. Obviously, heightened reality and all that, but it was dangerous and different and very different to most of the stuff that was in the top 40 as I was growing up, which again, the Manic Street Preachers would probably have approved of. People don't tend to think of things like NWA and Public Enemy as protest songs. They're just seen as, like, hip-hop. But when you get some, a song like Fight the Power, or albums like It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, I mean, call, being calling yourselves Public Enemy is, is uh, a, a sign of protest in and of itself. So, yeah, and again, there is lots of sort of silly, lightweight hip-hop and rap. You know, think of Will Smith, for example. And not all of it's black. You get something like Eminem, who talks about, like, domestic violence and other forms of problems in society. I'm going to say, weirdly, it's really interesting that's what's happening with hip-hop rap scene. You know, and obviously it's now sort of, you get things like drill and other types of music that you get from the urban environment. And so, yeah, so the idea of protest and not just singing a song that's catchy is still alive and well, provided somebody's actually got something legitimate to sing or rap about. That's it from me. And as always, another podcast coming soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.